Good morning. Good morning. Uh, let's go ahead and give thanks to the Lord this morning. God, we come to you here despite a busy schedule. Lord, despite a hectic life, I pray that this morning we can take that pause that we learned about last week and that we can apply it to our lives. Lord, that we're not busy thinking about what's ahead, what's for lunch or, or homework to come. Lord, but that we can take this time to really soak in and saturate our, our lives with your word. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity. What a joy it is for me. We love you in your name. Amen. Um, I've got to be honest with you guys. Uh, last night and this morning were a little bit rough for me. Um, I have this, this allergy that I just found out about um, like two days ago. And it, it wasn't that bad until last night. And last night I'm scratching and itching all night. And I wake up this morning really early, just incredibly uncomfortable. I go outside and I, or I go into the family room, I turn the lights on. And, and you know when you wake up early and the lights are on and oh, you, just, you don't want to open your eyes? Well, that, that feeling never went away. My eyes didn't want to open, and I looked in the mirror, and holy moly, my eyes are super, super puffy, and I could hardly see. I'm, I'm not joking. I'm like, oh, man, i got to preach in like three hours. What am I going to do? I'm in trouble. I can't read uh, my notes. What am I going to do? So, you know, I have breakfast, and I take some Benadryl, which makes me feel weird already, having Benadryl. And then I grabbed a bunch of ice and stuck it on my, uh, on my eyes. I'm like, okay, it's got to go down. Um, I went to Winco on the way here and picked up some, um, some cream for my eyes and, and put them under. And, and things are getting better. You know, they're, they're getting better. I got to my office, um, and I opened up the Bible, and I'm catching up on a life journal. And I'm not, I'm not joking. If you have your Bible, this is kind of entertaining. Um, Psalm 77, verse 4. I start reading Psalm 77, verse 1, 2, 3, and I get to verse 4. And verse 4 starts out, this it says you hold my eyelids open <laughs> i'm serious i i read it again i said you gotta be kidding me you hold my eyelids open i was so excited i picked up the phone and i called my wife and i said megan guess what i'm gonna be okay i'm gonna be okay this morning because god says you hold my eyelids open and then i hung up the phone and if you can read a little farther i said well okay i better keep reading the next part of verse 4 says, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. <laughs> so I'm hoping right now that we're going to just cut out that last part and we're going to stick with the first part. And my eyes have been more opened, which is good. I can see. I didn't have too many problems first service. So um, God is faithful. Uh, that is good. That's good. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Josh Carstensen. I'm new here. I'm the adult ministries pastor. Um, and today is an incredibly, incredibly special day for me. Um, I am very excited to be here. I'm excited to be up here. I'm excited to be a part of this, of our church. Uh, more than 10 years ago, I felt called into full-time ministry. And through the last 10 years, through uh, Bible college and seminary and missions and church planting, God has confirmed that calling, and he has brought me here, and it is an incredible joy. I'm really excited to be a part of a city that apparently doesn't love Jesus too much. I'm told that this county is one of the least churched counties around, and I think that's exciting because it gives God an opportunity to flex his muscles and to show how great he truly is. So I hope that I can be a part of experiencing a transformation in this church and in this city as my wife and I are now here. So I am very excited to be here, if you cannot tell. 
Um, during the past two weeks as we've moved in, I have a couple of thank yous to give. Um, first of all, um, we got delayed a little bit coming up here because of snow near Mount Shasta, and we had to stay the night um, with the Lampies, who were incredibly generous to opening their home for us. Uh, they wouldn't give us any water. We had to go to the pool and use buckets. I'm serious. They had some pipe issues, but it was great. It was fantastic. Um, and the next morning, we moved into our apartment, and I had to sign a ton of papers, and there were um, a whole crew of guys, uh, Kurt Nelson and Dave and his son Nathan and Nick and Mike. And while we were signing all the papers, they hiked all of our stuff up to the third floor, and that, it, was, it was great. I thank you guys. Uh, it's, just, it's just wonderful. Um, also, the Buchanans, the last couple months as we've been in this process, have opened their home to us. They've, they've taken us all over and toured us Corvallis. Um, I forgot to thank them last service, and I don't think they're here, but thank you, Andy and Laurel. Um, what a joy it is to, to get to know you guys. And for those of you who were part of the service last week at night, uh, welcoming us, um, you guys have just done an amazing job at making us feel welcome here and a part of this family. I thank you for those of you who came up and talked to me and introduced yourselves to me. Um, I don't know your names yet, but in the coming months, I will get to know them. Um, thank you, Laura, Laura, Laura Gannon. I think she helped put together that basket for us. Um, we got a lot of nice uh, OSU shirts and stuff. Not quite sure about that color on me. I, I think that's why I've got the skin irritation. I put that orange on. Not quite sure yet. But anyways, um, we are tremendously thankful to be here. And, and most of all, I give honor and glory to God for bringing us here. Uh, what a joy it is. Um, today and next week, and not Sunday, but the week after, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. In the book of Jonah. Uh, most likely, the book of Jonah is a very familiar story to many of you. Um, maybe for some of you who have not grown up in church, it's kind of this mythical story of, of a guy who gets eaten by a fish, and, and you don't really know what else happened. And, and for those of us who grew up in Sunday school, we, we remember Jonah with the swim trunks and the snorkel on the flannel graph, and he jumps off the boat, and then here comes the little fish, and, and things are great, and God is good, and Jonah is just this great guy. But unfortunately, as, as we're going to read, the story is a little bit different than what we remember from our childhood. It's a little bit different. And elements of the story are true. And we're going to find out that God's grace is in the whole thing, in the whole thing. So um, that's where we're going to be. So go ahead and open your book, Bibles to the book of Jonah. I don't want to spend a lot of time on background, but getting a little bit of background will help us to understand where Jonah came from and the significance of authorship and the significance of, of the events and the people and the places that took uh, and the things that happened. Jonah himself is not, or the author is not written in Jonah. We don't know exactly who wrote the book of Jonah. But it is very apparent that Jonah himself wrote the book. You know, some people say maybe he didn't write it because it's written in third person. But in the third week, in chapter 4, we're going to see why I think it is very important that Jonah wrote the book. It's important because I see in him a transformation that took place. A transformation that we don't necessarily read about, but one that probably took place that brought him to the place where he said, okay, I'm going to write about my story because I'm a totally different person now because of Christ in me and the idols that I have now taken care of through Christ. 
Jonah's written a long time ago. It's written between 782 and 753 BC. And we read about this in 2 Kings because he prophesies during the time of Jeroboam. So we start off verses 1 through 6. Follow along. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, so it might be a little different from NIV. So bear with me. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going towards Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This book starts out in typical Old Testament fashion. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, anytime you hear the word of the Lord came to, you should know that this is important, that something very important is about to be said. And it's true. God says to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The first and probably most important thing that I want to point out from the book of Jonah is that Jonah is not a book primarily about Jonah. Most of the time is spent on the person and story of Jonah, but the book of Jonah itself is primarily a book about God. It's a book about God. It starts out with God's words, verses 1 and 2. It ends at the end of chapter 4 with God speaking. And looking into the middle and throughout the story, we see many times God is doing things. Twice, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. When Jonah runs, God sends a storm. When Jonah quits, God provides a fish to rescue him. God commands that fish later to spit Jonah on dry land. God is the one who threatens Nineveh with punishment and judgment if they fail to repent. And when they do repent, it is God who has compassion on them. Later in chapter 4, God provides a plant for Jonah for his comfort. And then later, God provides a worm that eats the plant that makes him discomforted. And later even, God provides a wind to, again, discomfort Jonah. Jonah is about God. The story of Jonah is about God. And this is really important for us to understand. Because the book of Jonah isn't just an old story. It's not just a story that we read and and we think, okay, that's cute. That happened a long time ago. You know, but it's not very significant to my life. No, the book of Jonah is about God. The same God that we just sung to. The same God who does not change. The same God who maybe some of you are trying to figure out who he is and what he's all about. And I have friends who are, you know, talking about him. And I want to get in on the action. Who is this God? The same God 
who desire Jonah to go to Nineveh to call them out for their evil is the same God who desires to find those who are lost. And this is the same God who's calling us today to rid ourselves of our idols. And that's what this study is going to be about. It's going to be about idols. And guess what? We all have them. We all have idols. Some of us, um, we find our idols easy to identify. They're external. They're, they're easy. Some of us have great idols that are internal, and they're harder to get to because they're deep behind many, many layers. But this is what we're going to be dealing with in the weeks to come, our idols, what they are, how we deal with them, and how God forgives and is gracious, and what the gospel truly is and how it deals with our idols. So back to verse 1. Jonah is visited by God, and he's commanded, go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, this is not a normal request. If you look in the Old Testament, most of the time when Old Testament prophets are given a word to God, they are given it for the purpose of instruction for their own people, for the people of Israel primarily. But Jonah is actually told, go to another country, go to a distant place. And not only is it another country and a distant place, but it's a people that he hated. Right, we're going we're gonna to understand why he hated Nineveh. Nineveh is called a great city for many reasons. For one, it is the capital city of Assyria. Assyria is also one of the most brutal nations of the ancient world. It is said that um, they perfected the art of torture. One of the more common methods that they used was um, they'd take one of their prisoners, they'd take him out into the desert, and they'd make him dig his own hole. They'd dig his hole. They'd put him in the hole and they'd bury him up to his neck. And then they'd take his tongue and then they'd shove a spike through it into the ground. And then they'd leave him in the middle of the desert in the hot sun to die. And it's said that people would actually go crazy before they died. Other people say that entire cities would commit suicide rather than to fall in the hands of the Assyrians. Some people even speculate that when Jonah was a small child, it is possible that he might have experienced some of the Assyrians capturing people in his city or giving them trouble. So this is the type of people that God is telling him, hey, you need to go here. You need to go to this other place and tell them to repent. Very different. Let's see how Jonah responds to God's calling. Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is supposed to go east to Nineveh, but he hops on a boat and he goes to the most furthest point that he could possibly think of, to the west. This is a problem. God tells him directly, you need to do this, and he goes the complete opposite direction. Now, what I think is interesting is often we want to know what God wants us to do with our life, right? One of our biggest issues, I think, is people saying, what should I do with my life? What is my purpose? You know, and and we struggle. Should I move here? Should I have this job? Should I have these friends? Jonah is told exactly what he's supposed to do from God himself. See, we think, oh, that'd be awesome. My life would be easy if, if God told me exactly what to do. You know, maybe it wouldn't be. Maybe, in fact, it would be a lot harder. Maybe, in fact, he's already told us what to do, and we've avoided these things. But Jonah, no, 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 he runs. He runs away, and this is a problem. 
He thinks that if he can escape, if he can go to a new place, that his slate will be clean, that he won't have to deal with his problems anymore, that if he can just find a way to disappear, then he could be unknown and he could just start all over. You ever feel like Jonah? You ever feel like you just want to get away, that you just want to start over? Maybe you're here right now in life. And you're not satisfied with the way that things have turned out. When you were younger, you had great expectations for how life is supposed to be. And now that you're there, you're, you're not happy and you just want to escape. This is Jonah. Running away, trying not to think about his problems. But guess what? Just not thinking about your problems. Running away doesn't solve anything. That doesn't fix anything. Right? Some of us think, if I could just have a new job, or if I could just go to a different high school, or if I could just be in a different town, then my old reputation and my problems would be behind me, only to find out that when you get there, the only thing that has changed is your address. Right? Our problems will follow us if we do not get to the root of them and deal with the idols that are causing them. They will haunt us and they will follow us. Maybe for some of you it's not the fantasy of physically running away. It's just a lot easier to not think about these problems. This is why some of us are so good at procrastinating. It's very common. One of my best friends had a quote in high school. Laziness is the key to all future success. All right? Just procrastinating. Don't think about it. Just live life and, and just don't worry about your problems. All right? This is an idol. It can be an idol of comfort or pride. Because we know what happens if we face our idols, if we face the problems in our lives that need to change, we got to do something, right? We, we might have to change our lifestyle. We might have to make different choices. We might need to make new friends. Right? This idol can come in many forms. Maybe you're young in here today, and you know that my friends aren't that good of an influence on me. Whenever they call, I know that we're going to do something that I might regret later, but I don't have any other friends. And if I say goodbye to these friends, then I'm going to be in a place where I don't have anyone, and that's lonely. And when I go to school, I don't want to sit in the cafeteria by myself. I want to have people to be around. And I already have these people, so maybe I'll just keep hanging out with them, even though I know that this is not a good choice. Right? Or maybe you're a little bit older, and you're in a marriage. And you know that things aren't perfect. Maybe they're not horrible, but they aren't as it ought to be. Right? He doesn't hit you, and he comes home at night, but maybe the intimacy and the care isn't there. And when he does come home, maybe he checks out on the Internet or just sits in front of the television all night. You want your relationship to change, but you know that if you bring it up, it's going to take some work. There's going to be some things you've got to work through. And so what you do is you just try not to think about it. Or perhaps you're here today, right now, because... For so long, you've decided, I'm not going to think about God. I'm, I'm comfortable with my life. I don't, I don't want to think about these things. Um, I just, I just want to live and enjoy life. I, I want to just be a normal person. But something's been tugging on your heart. So you're here trying to figure out what that is. Right? A lot of these things in us are idols, and we run from them. We run from them because we know that if we deal with them, it's going to hurt. One of the easiest ways that we run from our problems is by filling our schedules. We fill our schedules so full that we don't even have time to think often. Neil Postman had it right. 
amusing ourselves to death. Amusing ourselves to death. We fill our time with watching television and football and exercising and walking the dog and making a schedule because we don't know what to do without a schedule that it keeps us from mentally dealing with the things on our plate. Many of you know that during the last couple of years, my wife and I were in Korea. And when we got to know some of the kids, there was a phrase that came up more often amongst the young adults. It's this phrase, drink until we die. It's basically this phrase that says, there's so much stress in my life. There's so many things that are wrong. I'm just going to try to forget about everything and not think about anything and just live for right now. And I'm just going to drink my life away. Don't worry about anything because I don't want to think about my life. Not hearing what we don't want to hear. Some of us are really good at this. Not hearing what we don't want to hear. Even as we're sitting in pews or in In church, when the pastor says something we don't want to hear, sometimes we just, I don't really want to hear that. right? We're not saying what we don't want to say. We're not thinking about it. This idol often creeps into our relationships, right? especially our relationships with non-Christians, not saying what we don't want to say. Now, why is that? That's because we know that if we bring up Jesus, at some point they're going to start asking questions. And and maybe you don't feel adequate to answer these questions. And you start hypothesizing all the questions that they're going to have. Like, well, what if he asked me about propitiation and atonement? And I don't know these words. And I don't have Pastor Andy's cell phone number. What am I going to do? And eventually, if I talk about Jesus, I'm I'm going to have to talk about hell. and, And that's going to make people feel really uncomfortable. How am I going to do that? I don't know. So So I avoid it. I just avoid the situation altogether. One of my goals in life, one of the reasons why I'm here, is to make sure that this never happens with us. It is my calling and my passion as a pastor to remind us of what we don't want to hear. I would be doing a horrible disservice if every chance I got to preach, I came up here and I just told you things that made yourself feel good. You know, and, and, and we just came up here and said, oh, okay, I guess I'm doing all right. Things are good. I would be doing us a terrible disservice if I did not preach things that required us to tear down our idols. As Jonah was called to Nineveh, so has the pastoral team been called to us. And so have you been called to your communities and your co-workers and your neighbors. Right? Jonah ran because of an idol that he had not yet dealt with in his heart. I pray that I will not run because of idols that are in my hearts. And I pray that we as a church will not run because of idols that we hold so tight. So Jonah thinks he can run. He thinks he can get away with it. Let's see what happens. Verses 4 through 6. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest of the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. They each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down in the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Back to the first point that I made. The book of Jonah is not primarily about Jonah. 
It's about God. And in verse 4, we see God working again. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. God was responsible for this storm. The storm was supernatural, and by it, God is going to save a city. And by the storm, he's going to send a prophet back to do his will. God uses storms to accomplish his good. And unfortunately, like Jonah, many of us are asleep on the bottom of the boat. Wake up, Christian. Are you asleep on the bottom of the boat? In America, this is easy to do. It is very easy. Life is very, very comfortable here. It's very comfortable. And the more comfortable your life is, chances are the closer you are to the bottom of the boat, not realizing how close to death you are and not realizing how much needs to change. And this is why it's often not until we are absolutely desperate that we cry out and we surrender our lives to him. As a nation, when things go, go bad, when we get attacked, we cry out for a little while. Right In our own lives, when people pass away that we love and when horrible things happen, when we get really sick, at that point we tend to cry out, why is it that we need storms? I have a question for you. Is it going to take a storm for God to get your attention? Is that what it's going to take? Jonah thought he could run. He thought that he could avoid God, but God used a storm to wake him up. My prayer is this, that it won't take a storm to wake us up from our idols. But if that's what it takes, so be it. Let God send them. If you are foolishly clinging to your idols and you're not willing to let them go, when God takes them, it is going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It does. Verses 7 through 10. And they said to one another, come. Let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. I find this part extremely ironic. I think it's ironic because Jonah finds himself exactly where he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh, to the city full of pagans, so he runs away and he finds himself on a boat full of pagans. Very interesting. They're in the middle of the storm, and they, and they try to figure out, okay, whose fault is this? You know, everyone, take a piece of paper and write your name on it. We're going to throw it in a hat. Whosever name we pull, you are to blame. So Jonah gets his name, puts it on a piece of paper, folds it ten times, puts it in there real small, and his name gets drawn. The people see it, and they say, what have you done? What is going on? What is this trouble that has come before us? And Jonah replies, and he says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. I can see it right now. Oh, you're one of those Hebrews? Right? You've got to be kidding me. Because they knew that the Hebrews were a monotheistic culture. 
that they worshipped one God and that his God was in control of the sea. And Jonah told them that. And they said, what have you done? Right? And back to the irony. It's interesting because from the beginning, Jonah is commanded to call out the unbelievers to repentance. But who's calling who out now? The sailors are calling out Jonah. And they're saying, what have you done? What have you brought all this trouble upon us? Right? And, and unfortunately, this is what we see today in our churches more often than not. And this is horrible. It's horrible because it's true. We're giving bullets to our hunters, and it's our own fault. People are pointing fingers at the church, and they're saying, we're a bunch of hypocrites. And unfortunately, we need to put our foot in our mouth because it's true. You know, often I think, I'm not that bad. You know, I'm not burning Korans, and I'm not picketing soldiers' funerals. And, and it's only those people who are giving Christianity a bad name. You know, our church, oh, we love people. We, there, there's nothing wrong with us. Right? Is there anything in your life that people might say, huh, I thought you were a Christian? Those are painful words. Those are painful words. Some of you just skip that step and you say, I just don't tell anyone I'm a Christian. Because then they don't have to think, oh, well, okay, I guess he's, you know. Some of us just skip that all together. When I was in high school, my friends were really into the ichthus Jesus fishes that you put on your car. And my friend gave me one and he said, hey, take this fish and put it on your car. Then everyone will know that you're a Christian. I said, I cannot put that on my car because I do not drive like a Christian. I, that's, some, that's a bad idea. And some of us don't want to put that, that sticker on us. We don't want to tell people. Because then we feel like, oh, we're judged. You know, I don't really live like I ought to. Right? We of all people, as Christians, we should be the most loving. We should run our businesses honestly. We should be living above the moral standards. But instead, we find ourselves struggling just as much as the rest. And they notice it, and they start to point fingers. We must look different, and we must look different because we must be different. Right? Throughout the Bible, in many places, God calls us to a high and holy standard. And not only that, but he calls us to live in a way that other people see and they say, wow, okay, that's good. That's good. Second Corinthians 8.20 says, We aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And then Romans 12, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. So while we don't live for the approval of man, we do live in such a way that when people see our lives, they say, ah, he's a Christian. That's what it's about. It's about Christ because our lives should point to him. Right? No one's asking for perfection. We know that that's not going to happen. But some of us do a horrible disservice to the gospel by not living according to the ways that we know we ought. Let's keep going. Verses 11 through 13. Then they said to him, what shall we do then? Or what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and the sea will quiet down. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode harder to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. 
the sailors were given the remedy to the problem. Throw Jonah overboard and the storm will stop. But what did they do? They said, no, we're going to fight it. We're going we're to row as hard as we can and we're going to overcome and we're going to conquer on our own will and on our own effort. We're going to do this. So they tried and they tried on their own effort. And many of us try on our own efforts to tear down our, un, our own idols. But unfortunately, we can't. And this is where the sailors were. They were stuck. Stuck, trying to save themselves. Stuck in the middle of the storm. But what do they do? They come to the point where they actually surrender their lives to God. The sailors do. And they say, we love you. We can't do it. We worship you. You are God alone. Verses 14 to 16. This is what they say. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The sailors... The pagans, in the height of the storm, in the midst of trying to do it on their own, realize they couldn't. And they offer sacrifices and they believe. Jonah, the prophet, sent by God. When life was most difficult, he tries to escape God's calling by running away. He gets called out by the sailors. And finally, Jonah realizes he can't do it on his own. But what does he do? At this point, Jonah does not worship the Lord. This is not the great culmination of Jonah realizing all the mistakes he had made and him saying, okay, maybe I'll go back to Nineveh because this is what I'm supposed to do. No, Jonah gives up. Jonah gives up. He says, throw me into the sea and the sea will quiet down. This is Jonah's point of defeat. He quits. He realizes there's no use in running anymore. I might as well die. And it's here, at that moment, right there, that God shines. It's when Jonah realizes that he had nothing to offer. He couldn't do anything that God sends a rescuer. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. When Jonah tries to end his life because he doesn't think he can do it anymore, God says, no. I am not done with you. I have made you. You are mine. And that is exactly what God has done with us. He sends Christ and he says, no, I am not done with you. I have made you. You are mine. We cannot tear down our idols on our own. But in our weakest moment, while we were still sinners, the Bible says, Christ rescued us because the story is not about us. God comes in and he says, you are mine. I made you. This is what the first chapter of Jonah is all about. It's about surrendering your life to Christ because guess what? It's not yours anyways. Your life is his. In closing, we know that like the book of Jonah, our lives, our stories are not primarily about us. It's about him. It's about his mercy, his compassion for his lost 
people. From Jonah, we see that we can't just run away physically or mentally from our responsibilities and from our callings by amusing ourselves to death. We need to wake up. There's a storm brewing. And from Jonah, we see that, this, that despite of this storm, many of us are asleep on the bottom of the boat and the world is seeing it. But at this point, at that point, we realize, I can't do it. It's all about you, Jesus. Please come rescue me. I can't be the loving father. I can't be the supporting wife. I can't be the person I'm supposed to be without Christ. Without him, I'm nothing. I'm given up. I've jumped off. With him, I am everything. So this morning, as, as we look forward to what we're going to see in the, in the height of chapter 2, there's a small phrase that some people have said is, is the middle of the Bible, the most important thing. It says, salvation belongs to the Lord. We're going to see Jonah next week bringing that all together, understanding where he came from, understanding now where he's got to go, understanding how he's going to deal with these idols. And that's what our goal is. We're going to be getting into very specific idols that we have and, and how we are to deal with them in the weeks to come. But for now, this week, we realize we can't do it on our own. It is Christ who has rescued us. Thank you for Jonah. Thank you for the fish. And most importantly, thank you for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending a fish to rescue Jonah. Thank you for sending Christ to rescue me. Lord, let us wake up. Let us realize that we really are in a storm. That no matter how comfortable our lives may seem, that we are dead without you. Lord, let us not run mentally from dealing with the truth of the gospel. Let us be open to our neighbors and our friends and our spouses about the issues that we need to deal with. Lord, I pray that you would work it on our hearts this week, that we could understand how great and how wide your mercy is for us. Lord, we love you in your name. Amen.